Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard and the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies is Tom Jocelyn. And I'm so glad you had some time for us, Tom, because I've been wanting to hear from you all week about what the San Bernardino attack, which now just within minutes of us speaking, the FBI has declared officially a terrorist investigation. What does it say about where America is, where ISIS is in the overall war of terror? Well, you know, it's really interesting if you watch the, the press reporting over the last, uh, you know, 48 hours or so, or however many hours it is, you know, there, there's, there's been this urge from some officials to sort of downplay immediately any ties to terrorism. And, you know, I, obviously we want to get it right. You want all the details to come out, and you don't want to rush to judgment. I think that in terms of what actually happened and, and motivations and all those things, you know, take a little bit of time to determine. So I, so I get it. But even as you have some officials coming out with details pointing to the fact that, um, you know, particularly the wife and, uh, you know, has may have actually sworn allegiance to the Islamic State during the attack, and other details come out pointing to the fact that the couple were, in fact, jihadis, it's interesting you watch other law enforcement officials come out with a sort of a counter-narrative anonymously through the press trying to say there's no evidence in the apartment that they were radicalized, there's no evidence that they were actually jihadis, Really, really odd dynamic here. Obviously, both sides can't be right, and I think, obviously, the former uh, pointing to the fact that these were jihadis are going to turn out to be right. And the FBI has said so, and the, uh, as you mentioned, the wife, uh, Malik, uh, posted uh, lo- loyalty to al-Baghdadi at the beginning of the attack. That's the report. And then you have the uh, reports of other people who are under investigation by uh, the uh, you know uh, intelligence community communicating with her, and then there's that little note, uh, Tom, of turning your home garage into a bomb making factory. How about that as a tip that maybe just maybe this is linked to the war of terror? Yeah, I mean you know the idea that this was you know you see this this painful sort of explanation in the press of you know we have you know maybe a mixed motive and you have to keep workplace violence in mind. I mean. Yeah, it's true. Maybe this guy had a conflict with a fellow worker, or maybe he decided to, to, to do this, you know, that day for a reason, for an argument that broke out or something along those lines. But the bottom line is, you know, these were people who were stockpiling pipe bombs, manufacturing pipe bombs, stockpiling ammunition, obviously had, you know, trained themselves or received training in their weapons. This isn't something like a spontaneous act of workplace violence that just breaks out. These are people who are, were thinking about this and plotting this for, for some time beforehand. So, you know, the idea that, you know, there can be more than one motivation to, to something or why somebody acts, I mean, that's true, but that doesn't downplay the idea that it's terrorism or make it less of a terrorist act. Uh, Tom, there's a report that ISIS, through their media wing, which just still confuses me, how can they have a magazine and a, you know, radio station? I mean, it's, it's they're like the Roger Ailes of the Middle East, but uh, they've said that uh, the fighters, the, the people who did Paris were fighters, whereas the people who did San Bernardino were, quote, supporters. But they are saying these were you know, people who you know, shared our vision of the world. And so uh, back to that kind of first question, where are we in this fight? Does this attack, is there anything about it that we sh- should learn from, focus on in the future, anything that relates to what ISIS's next move might be or what ours should be? Well, I think the problem is that globally the whole uh, you know pie of jihadism, so to speak, has grown you know really by leaps and bounds since 2011. Um, you know, if you look at the number of places and countries where jihadists, whether they be ISIS or Al Qaeda, are fighting today, it's far more than ever before. Um, you know, one of the things I always say is if you if you think about Osama bin Laden not as so much just as a terrorist. Of course, he was a terrorist, but he was more than that. He was a political revolutionary who thought about sparking a jihadist revolution within the Muslim-majority world. 
that's what he sought, sought out to do in 1988 when he founded Al-Qaeda. And I think if you were to ask him on his dying day and say, hey, you know, you're going to be dead, but in just in a couple of years, the jihadists are going to be fighting in all these countries stretching from West Africa through North Africa to the heart of the Middle East and the Levant all the way into South Asia, he would have taken that. He would have said, okay, fine, you know, I'll, I'll give up my life if that's going to be the outcome is that basically I've sparked this jihadi revolution. And he did. I mean, he's called an al-Qaeda, and, and both al-Qaeda and even some Islamic State supporters still call him the reviving sheikh. The idea is that he revived the idea of jihad mm-hmm. in the Muslim-majority world. And the big picture that's lost is, you know, because our, this current administration, President Obama, specifically doesn't want to talk about these matters as if there's a broader war. The problem is you can't see that whole picture if you look through the world through, uh, you know, Obama's lens. Basically, what he sees is just sort of a, a series of one-off problems that he can deal with, you know, sort of tactically here and there as he sees fit, as opposed to seeing this bigger picture, which is this, this spread of jihadism across the globe. And really, that spread of jihadism is what makes threats, makes threats like this, you know, more and more virulent and increases the number of threats over time dramatically. I mean, leading up to San Bernardino, you ask the FBI in this country, you know, how many, uh, what, what was the probability that an ISIS-inspired or an ISIS-directed attack was going to happen in the U.S., they would have told you, and they were telling people, that it's increasing daily, that this is increasing. So this is not something that is sort of disconnected from everything else that's going on around the world. This is, uh, as the evidence comes out, and of course we still need to collect the evidence, you can see, you're seeing more and more reports that the ideology that drove this couple is the same ideology that is, is spreading around the globe. So that raises the question, Tom, of is this a smart strategy for ISIS? Attacking Paris, what did it actually accomplish? Carnage, but it got uh, France and Britain and even Germany in a small way involved in the fight against them. If they had an attack in the U.S. that was truly you know, powerful, in other words, one that was directly brought about by ISIS as opposed to these ISIS sympathizers, you could see even the reluctant President Obama forced into getting seriously, uh, getting serious. How does this help them achieve their goal? Well, you know, it's, it's an interesting debate that's even had within jihadi circles about what the utility of such attacks are and how this actually plays out. Um, you know, you go back to 9-11 and you could say, well, al-Qaeda was almost on the verge of true annihilation in late 2001. Uh, they only slipped through our fingers at Tora Bora and lived to fight another day and, of course, lived to really spread jihadism around the globe in various ways. Um, so if you look at 9-11 from their perspective, they probably would say, well, it was a net benefit because we helped spark this sort of jihadi revolution, and it showed that we could hit you know, America, this big, you know, huge superpower, and it showed that we're, we're in fact the strong horse that people should back. On the other hand, you know, obviously it galvanized the U.S. to action and overthrew the Taliban, uh, you know, really made them lose their control on Afghanistan at least for you know, a few years. And you got to think, looking back on it, you know, they lost some things in the immediate aftermath of 9-11, but they have rebounded in various ways. And, you know, part of the thinking here is that the U.S. doesn't have the will for a long fight to actually finish it off. So, you know, from ISIS' standpoint, they're a little different than al-Qaeda. They're not quite as strategic thinking, I don't think, in terms of how they go about these types of things. Their whole message to the world is, we're taking you on. We're taking on the world no matter who you are. If you don't submit to Baghdadi and the Caliphate, you're our enemy. And that's their whole brand, and it's it's something that in some ways is um, you know not not too strategically intelligent or smart. You know they take on more actors in Iraq and Syria than they really have to or, or should want to to advance their cause. But because that's so tied to their caliphate claim and the idea that they're the only true legitimate authority really for Muslims on the planet and really should rule over everybody, 
because that's their whole brand and their whole way of thinking, it's sort of, you know, basically their whole tactics or their way they, they look at attacks like Paris and these sorts of things, you know, basically is consistent with that, and that's part of their whole branding. So it's sort of a double-edged sword for them. I mean, you know, same, by the same token, you look at what happened with Paris, you know, there's no immediate threat to Raqqa or Mosul or some of the territory which they, they uh, you know, sort of are uh, are governing over. Um, you know, yes, it's gotten the French maybe to launch more airstrikes, but the French were already involved to a certain extent anyway, and the British were already involved in Iraq to a certain extent. So, you know, all these things play both ways. One last question for you. Do you think it's the case that attacks in America and in Europe uh, inspire the foot soldiers that they need in North Africa and the Middle East. In other words, I see, look what ISIS did. They struck against the great Satan. I'm going to go sure. travel from my little village in Somalia. That's the strong horse message. That's, that's what the whole idea behind 9-11 was, too, is that you're basically signaling to all your would-be supporters that you are the, the, the horse they should ride. You're the one that they should get behind because you're the one that can actually make the big bad superpower pay. And so that's sort of the idea. It's It's you know, if the whole message of the ISIS caliphate is we're here, we're here to stay, we're remaining and expanding, as they, as they often say, which isn't entirely true. They've actually lost some territory in Iraq and Syria. But be that as it may, they say they're remaining and expanding and they're this big bad caliphate. Then they basically have to take everybody on because that's their brand. That's their message to their would-be supporters. And so they can't really back down from it. Now, you know, if, if the West got serious about this and actually decided to take territory away from them and basically end their caliphate claim, you can bet that this, the story would be very different and that, in fact, ISIS would start having some big problems with its messaging. Tom Jocelyn with the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. Thanks for being part of today's Weekly Standard podcast. Thanks a lot, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.